this morning. And good morning to all of you. It's great to have you here. Um, there's a couple of people missing this morning. Carl and Ange are down in Belclutha today ministering there, uh, but we are here. And a warm, warm welcome to you, particularly if this is your first Sunday or if you're visiting here today. And uh, I do want to take a moment to say welcome to an old friend of mine. Not that he's old, but he's an old friend. Uh, David Wakeley is visiting this morning. Now, Dave, the story about Dave is that I went through Sunday school as the only boy in my year group uh, for years and years and years, actually. And then I think it was Form 1, I think when I was 11 or year, year 7 now, when I was 11, this family arrived at the church called the Wakerleys, and there was Dave, and he was the same age as me. And so we did the rest of Sunday school and youth group together. Uh, and uh, that's a, f- a couple of years ago. I think it was about 2008 we were in Sunday school together. Um, but since then, uh, some of you actually may know Dave. He and his wife, Becky, uh, lead the Hillsong Kids team and have done since about 2003, 2004, something like that, uh, and have produced some of those great uh, kids' DVDs and, and worship material and stuff that many of you will know. So, Dave, welcome. Glad to have you here. It's great to see you again. Now, before I get into the message this morning, I've got some other exciting news to tell you as well. And you may have noticed a little bit uh, of, of this out in the foyer. I've got something to tell you that is coming up in April of next year. Now, I know some of you are thinking April next year. I don't even know what's next week or what's for lunch. But, and I know that we've been telling you about the international weekend that's coming up uh, at the beginning of November. We've got Community Day and we've got the God of Nations service and we've got the International Food Market. And that is still coming up, and we still want you to volunteer for that. That'd be great. And I know we've also been telling you about the Christmas for the City Festival that's coming up in the middle of December, and we're looking for 150 volunteers to be a part of that, and we still want that to happen. Uh, A few people have been asking me a little bit more about that event, and we will tell you more. But just to describe it, it's hard to describe because we've never done anything like it before, but we're joining with 28 other churches and we're putting on a festival in the middle of the city at the ARA campus that was CPIT. And uh, we're taking over the whole campus and we're doing indoors and outdoors. There'll be outdoor stages and indoor stages. There's a North Pole village for kids to go and do stuff like bouncy castles and make toys and decorate cookies and other things like that. There's just all this stuff going on for five hours on a Saturday evening in the middle of December. So that's coming, and we need you guys to be a part of that. But today, we are almost exactly six months out from the New Zealand and Beyond Conference in April 2000. In 18, a conference that we've been hosting here at Levita for the last five or six years. And I just want you to look at a quick 30-second video just telling you a little bit about it. Thanks, guys. It's time to register for the New Zealand and Beyond Conference 2018. Hosted in April by Tark Barner of Church Unlimited at Auckland's Trusts Arena and Christchurch's Levita Centre. New Zealand is in desperate need of God. Let's unite and believe for a move of the Holy Spirit. Enjoy three days of powerful worship and inspirational messages from speakers Mike Bolivarchi, Alan Scott, Joel Holm, Tark Barner and Jody Tolley. Early bird rates available now. Register at nzandbeyond.com. So it's pretty good, eh? But why am I telling you about it six months in advance? That seems a little bit crazy, right? 
Well, to give you a little bit of a heart behind what's going on, over the last couple of years, we as a church have really felt uh, the call of God to increase our kingdom mindset in terms of influence and impact over the city, the nation, and the nations. And you may recall a word that we received from David and Greta Peters where they talked about the sword, the spear, and the arrow. The sword, which has a, a short reach, excuse me, indicating our influence into the community and the city. And the spear, which has a greater reach, indicating our influence into the nation. And the arrow, with a greater reach again, indicating our influence into the nations of the world. So an event like Community Day on the 4th of November allows us to have an influence in the local community, to reach outside ourselves and make an impact in the lives of our neighbours and families in the local area. And then a new innovation like Christmas for the City comes along, and we're able to partner with 28 other churches as well as community groups who have a kingdom mindset to have an influence in the city, to reach beyond the borders of just our local community and have a positive impact on thousands of Christchurch families. And the New Zealand and Beyond Conference is a conference attended by people from all across New Zealand and is entirely focused on equipping people to have a global kingdom mindset and to reach the world with the gospel. And as I said, we've been hosting that conference for five or six years. I can't remember exactly. But in 2018, there's a shift happening. Right? We're shifting from having Levita host the conference on behalf of Church Unlimited to a place where Life Church is partnering in a much deeper way with Church Unlimited in order to run the New Zealand and Beyond Conference here in the South Island. Because we, like them, want to see the kingdom of God advance in the city, in the nation, and in the nations of the world. So a couple of weeks ago, we had contact them from them saying, hey guys, we are launching New Zealand and Beyond Conference in Auckland on October the 15th. So that is what we're doing here as well. All right? It's coming six months Let's be honest, three, three months of those will disappear anyway. So it's practically only three months away. And be honest, week by week goes by anyway. And you, only, you, know, you need to register a month out. So you've actually only really got two months from now, basically. <laughs> so, so it's coming. And we are going to be partnering with them to make that happen. Look, there's a whole bunch of information out in the foyer. Uh, the website is now live. You can register now if you didn't already at the last conference. Uh, and that is all go. Okay? So you got that? Are you ready for me to start? I'm totally not, so if you just give me a moment, that'd be great. All right. A few months ago, Joe and I had the awesome opportunity to take uh, all of our kids over to Australia for the first time as a family, and we had a six-day holiday in the Gold Coast, suffering for Jesus and it was something that we'd dreamed about for a long time, and we'd really been looking forward to the day that the kids would be old enough, not just to do it, but, but to remember it. You know, we, if it, it's sort of a, one of these once-in-a-lifetime family-type things, and so we would make sure that they're ready, that they would remember it, they would enjoy it. And we'd been planning this particular trip for about a year, so it was a highly anticipated family holiday. And uh, the plan was pretty simple, really spend as much time at the theme parks as we could over a six-day period. That was, that was why we were there. Now, of course, Joe and I thought that sounded pretty awesome, and the kids were excited about it too, but only sort of, because really they had absolutely no idea what a theme park was and didn't know what it was that they were supposed to be looking forward to. So anyway, we flew over, and uh, we, we arrived, and we spent 
the night at, the, at our accommodation, and then the very first thing in the first morning, we set out to SeaWorld, okay, which was pretty cool. We arrived at the park, and uh, we got in there, and as soon as we get in, you know, the kids are like, ah, oh, this is what a theme park is, and you know, there were lots of oohs and ahs and wows and all that kind of thing, and we took them around, and we saw polar bears, that was pretty cool, and sharks, took lots of photos of sharks, uh, and, uh, you know, giant sea turtles and, and all that sort of stuff, and, and dolphins, and we went to a seal show, not the musician seal, but actual marine life seals, you know, and Joe even got kissed by a seal, not kissed by a rose on the grave as performed by seal, but like an actual seal, there we go, there's Joe being kissed, it's actually a sea lion, for me. I had words with a sea lion afterwards. So that was all a whole lot of fun, but of course, that was just the beginning, because really the reason you go to a theme park is the rides, right? So after that, we sort of started getting into the adventurous stuff, and we came around a corner, and we came to the entrance to the Storm Coaster, which is one of the roller coasters there at SeaWorld. And we're like, okay, kids, who wants to go on the Storm Coaster? You're all tall enough. Yep, sweet, we can go. Does everybody want to go? Yeah, yeah, let's go, let's go. So we go in the thing, and we, we line up, and we wait, and then after a few minutes, we all start climbing into the, you know, the, the little car, the pod, which was shaped like a a jet boat kind of thing, and it was two seats wide and about, I don't know, maybe five or six rows deep. And uh, we, we get in there, and Joe sat with one of the kids, and I sat with another one, and then, then the third kid had to look out for themselves. And, and we got in, and they locked the harnesses on, and, you know, they came down, and then, then the person comes along and does the safety check, and, yep, everything's fine. And, and then the, the boat car thing starts slowly heading out of the boarding area, and you come out into the open, and then you just start slowly getting winched up, you know, to how that works on a roller coaster, right? It was one that just started slowly at the bottom, and we just start being winched up the steep climb to the top of the roller coaster so that the ride could begin. And then something happened. About halfway up this climb, the child that was sitting next to Joe and just behind me sees something that will be etched in my brain forever. This is not what I thought it was going to be. I don't want to do this. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, uh, buddy, um, we can't do much about that now. And they start struggling. They start trying to pull the harness off and try to climb out. You can't climb out of the roller coaster now. Like, that would be bad. Look, it's going to be, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fun. The ride's not that long anyway. You're completely safe. Everything's going to be fine. So they stopped struggling, but they were still freaking out a little bit as we went up and we crested the peak. You know that moment where everything just seems to stop, and then we began our downward journey. And we were overplaying, we just, just really enjoyed it, we were overplaying the whooping and hollering and just trying to make it as, as fun as possible. You know, it's not scary, it's great. I can see my house from here, you know. It's more fun when you wave your hands around like this, just whatever, to make it kind of fun. And, and that, was, that was going pretty well, but then we got to the last big drop of the coaster, and it, and it actually was a, a big drop. You know, it was one of those ones where just when you think, like, you're feeling like, man, we must be going straight down, and then it kicks into another gear, and you're sort of like, are we inverted now? What's just happened? This really fast drop, and at the end of the drop, you went into back inside, and so it was just this black area, and if you're already terrified, it just looked like this 
dark, gaping hole of doom, you know. And we go through that, and then you land in water, and we just got completely soaked and saturated, which most of us thought was hilarious, but for this one child, that was kind of the last straw, and they could not get out of there fast enough. I'm never going on a roller coaster ever again. Yeah, this is partway through day one of a six-day theme park trip. What are we going to do? And we carried on that day, and we went on a bunch of you know, smaller rides, but they were, they were pretty cautious about what they got on. And Joe went back on the storm coaster a few times with one of the kids. And, but every time we were even in view of this roller coaster, this child would literally hide their eyes so they didn't even have to see a reminder of the trauma that they'd been through. And later in the day, we decided that actually all of us, except for one, of course, really, really wanted to go on one more time before we left. So we all headed back together because we were going to have to sort of, you know, switch and let them wait. But even as we were walking back to the roller coaster, what, what they did is there were sort of pillars everywhere. And they would run from pillar to pillar like this and then wait for us to catch up and then run to the next pillar so that they couldn't see it. And then all of a sudden he came out from behind one of the pillars, comes over to me. Dear God, please don't let Daddy die. And then ran back behind the pillar. Lord, I'm sorry we have broken our child. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, we we had an amazing time. We had an amazing time, and the rest of the the trip, they they all just loved the theme parks, and uh, just as as time went on, this child got more comfortable and, and did a few different things, but they still didn't choose too many thrill rides. But it was that statement that they made in that moment of realization that really got me thinking. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. I don't want to do this. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. I don't know about you, but I have to admit there's been a couple of times in my life where I've thought or even said pretty much the same thing. Even, truth be told, in relation to my walk with God. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. I'm not sure that I really want to do this. And I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Because the Bible is filled with stories of people whose expectations and realities seem to have been quite different. And then you just take the example of Joseph, who has dreams of having his brothers bow down to him. But the very next thing that happens is he finds himself thrown to the bottom of a well and sold to traders. He may have thought, this this is not what I thought this was going to be. Or you think of Moses, who takes the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and leads them to the promised land, but kind of gets delayed by 40 years wandering in the desert. This is not what I thought it was going to be. Or what about Mary and Joseph? Hey, we're engaged, we're young, we're going to get married, and then bam, greetings, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. This This is not what I thought our marriage was going to be. Well, perhaps you can look at the example of Jonah. And Jonah was an Old Testament prophet. And the primary role, I've missed one actually. I want to tell you about Abraham. Is that all right? Can I tell you about Abraham? Even though I skipped it, can I go back? Yep. You can't read my notes anyway, so you have no idea that I missed it. Even now, you still haven't. Yeah. Okay, so Abraham was given a promise of a child. And, 
and even in his old age, and by a miracle had this son Isaac, but then after he's given, they've given birth, they've got this child that they love, then God says, will you offer him as a burnt sacrifice? You know, I kind of think, Abram, this, is, this isn't what I thought fatherhood was going to be. And then there's Jonah, an Old Testament prophet. And the role of the prophets, of course, was to be the mouthpiece of God to his people. And most of the books of the prophets in the Old Testament are messages that God has given to the prophets to tell his people. But the message we find in the book of Jonah is quite different. It says in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Go to Nineveh. Instead of being given a message to deliver to, deliver to Israel, Jonah is given a message to, to deliver. <laughs> can't say that. Jonah is given a message to deliver to Nineveh, one of the major cities of the Assyrians who were enemies of Israel. You know, proclaiming the word of the Lord to Israel is one thing, but proclaiming the word of the Lord to the enemies of Israel is something else entirely. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. So he jumps on a boat and heads in the opposite direction. So what are we supposed to do about it when we get in that position? When we come to a place with God where it isn't what we thought it was going to be, it seems to me like we've got two pretty clear options. We either choose to walk in obedience to what God has called us to, or we don't. Those are basically our choices. We either obey or we disobey. When Abraham was asked to sacrifice his long-promised and beloved son, he had a choice to obey or to disobey. And Abraham chose to obey. And he set out on the journey to the mountain that God had told him to. But before he took any action against Isaac, God intervened, stopped Abraham, and provided another sacrifice. And when Jonah was asked to bring the word of the Lord to Nineveh, he had a choice to obey or to disobey. And Jonah chose to disobey, setting out on quite a different journey in order to flee from God and his command. But before Jonah was able to reach his intended destination, God intervened again, first providing a storm to get Jonah kicked off the boat, then providing a fish to save Jonah from the storm, then providing, I guess, an an urge to vomit to get Jonah out of the fish. And eventually Jonah does go to Nineveh, proclaims the message, and the whole city is brought to repentance. And what I find amazing about both of these stories is that despite their choice, it's the will of God that still comes to pass, right? Abraham chooses to obey God, but is stopped from carrying out his plan because the will of God was that Abraham would father an entire nation through Isaac. Jonah chooses to disobey God, but is stopped from carrying out his plan because the will of God is that the city of Nineveh would turn to repentance. And in both stories, God displays his sovereignty and his lordship. And we serve a sovereign God, but we still have the choice of whether we obey or disobey. Excuse me just for another moment. I apologize. I don't normally like to drink water while I'm preaching. (laughs) 
we've pretty much always got that choice before us, though, haven't we? I mean, when you come to a red traffic light, it tells you to stop, but you can either choose to obey the traffic rules or choose to disobey them. Right? Each choice will present quite a different set of consequences, but you still have a choice to make, am I going to obey or disobey? As a parent, I've discovered that kids make choices between obedience and disobedience all the time. And sometimes they weigh up the consequences, and sometimes they don't. I was talking last night, actually, with some other parents, and we were discussing how kids have this amazing ability to obey a specific command while still somehow really remaining disobedient. So, for example, yeah, you can imagine this, sort of, oh, uh, don't jump on the couch. No, sorry. Oh, no, no, don't stand on the couch either. No, don't jump on the table. No, don't jump on the chair. No jumping on any furniture. No standing on any of the furniture either. Okay, no jumping or standing on any furniture. No standing on the kitchen bench. I know the kitchen bench is not a piece of furniture, but you know, I mean, this is the sort of thing that kids manage to do. I'm not standing. I'm sitting. I'm leaning. I'm leaning against the wall now. You know, it just—it's just what they do. They obey the specific command, sure, but they still somehow, you know, they're in there. Really, they're being disobedient. And have you have you ever noticed that it's always the one more time? after a parent says stop, that something goes horribly wrong. That's certainly what happened with me and my brothers when we were kids all the time. It's always the one more jump or the one more throw or the one more turn. That's when someone or something gets hurt. To be honest, mum, I reckon if you hadn't told us to stop throwing the cricket ball inside, the lounge window would never have been smashed. You should have just left us to it. You jinxed it. We would have caught it if you hadn't distracted us. With my kids, it's always, I'm just going to. No, I don't want you to just do anything. I, would just, I just want you to do exactly the thing that you've just been asked to do. Right? This seems to be this mindset with kids, just one more before I do that. And sometimes the consequences of our choices are very natural. For example, choosing to throw that cricket ball just one more time led to a broken window. I think it was the day we were leaving for holiday or something. It seems to come to mind. If you don't put that lid back on that bottle of Fanta, you'll knock it over and spill it everywhere. Yeah. I feel like I'm exposing all my family's failures. Sometimes the consequence... Just my failures. Just my family's failures, no? Just mine. Sometimes the consequences aren't so immediate or natural, and they have to be applied later. Like if you play with your iPod without asking, then you will go without the privilege of playing devices for the next two weeks. Not looking at anyone in particular. That hasn't happened for years, has it, mate? No. We have a choice between obedience and disobedience, and the consequences of our choices will be quite different. A few weeks ago, I spoke here about our identity in Christ as children of God, and that the way we identify ourselves as his disciples is through our love for him and for one another. And I shared the story from John 21, where Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And then just a couple of weeks before that, I spoke about trust and faith, about trusting in the Lord with all your heart, and shared examples from Scripture where God is asking his people 
Do you trust me? And those are two really important questions when it comes to the concept of obedience. Do you love him? Do you trust him? Because if you love him and trust him, then out of that love and trust, won't you choose to act in accordance with his will? Won't you choose to obey him? Because I don't, I don't believe God's looking for compliance. I don't think he's looking for submissiveness and conformity just solely out of fear or out of a sense of duty. Although as a parent, you'd sometimes take that quite happily, I think. But God is looking for people who will walk in obedience because they love and trust him. If we obey solely out of a sense of fear or duty, there's always the temptation that we'll be like a kid jumping on the couch. Well, I'll follow that rule, but now I'll go, if you haven't said no to this, I'll go and do this. But until you say no to that, I'll go and do this, right? If it's just a set of rules, if it's just fear, if it's just duty, I'll look for any loopholes that I can. But God seeks a loving relationship first, that our obedience to him springs out of a desire to love and serve him. We're going to jump now into the book of John, chapters 14 and 15. I'm going to show a few verses here from a, it's a more extended passage. We're just going to take some verses out of here. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he explains this or, or talks about it extensively. In verse 15, he says, if you love me, keep my commands. Verse 21, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And then jump down to verse 23 and 24. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. And then down in verses 30 and 31. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. And then in the next chapter, John 15, verses 9 to 14. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus is making a pretty strong point here. In a short passage, he links obedience with love eight times. If you love me, obey my commands. If you don't love me, you won't obey my commands. I love the Father, so I obey his commands. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. This isn't just a passing reference. Do you love me? Do you trust me? Then will you obey me? even if life isn't what you thought it was going to be. 1 John 2. 
verses 3 to 5. says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. Love for God is made complete through obedience. Love without action is just talk. Action without love is just dead works, but action motivated by love and trust is obedience. If you love him but don't trust him, why would you do what he asks? If you trust him but don't love him, it would be easy to choose not to obey. But if you love him and trust him, how can you not choose to obey him? There's one more little story uh, that I think shares this idea. It's found in Acts chapter 5, and we're going to jump through it a little bit. And it's the early church, right? So Jesus has just died, been resurrected, and the, the apostles and disciples are now preaching the good news. And uh, in verses 12 to 16 of chapter 5, we read of how the apostles were healing the sick and performing signs and wonders. And more and more men and women believed in the Lord were ad- and were added to their number. But the high priest and his associates were filled with jealousy and arrested the apostles and put them in a public jail. And then we read in verses 19 to 21. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to, pre- they began to teach the people. So the apostles were arrested by the high priest and the temple officials for preaching the gospel. Then they were miraculously set free, and then they're commanded to go and preach the gospel again. Where? In the temple, where they've just been arrested. So, of course, they're immediately caught again and brought before the high priest for questioning. And in verse 28 and 29, he says this, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. What a great response. We must obey God. It is who we are. It is the choice we've made. We love him. We trust him. We will obey him. And then Peter goes on to testify about Jesus, which of course made the temple leaders even more furious, and they decided that we won't arrest them. We'll just execute them. We'll put them all to death. But one of the Pharisees convinced the others that killing them would cause more trouble than it was worth. And then picking up at verses 40 to 42, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Just instead of killing them, we'll just beat you after death. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And then there's this. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. What an amazing story. They preached. They were arrested. They were miraculously freed and told to preach again. They're captured again. They're flogged. They're released on the condition that they never speak in the name of Jesus. And then day after day, they never stop proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. 
Why? Because they loved him and they trusted him. So they obeyed him, even if it wasn't that what they thought it was going to be. I don't think that their idea of being arrested one day, released, and then flogged the next day was what they thought this was going to be. But that wasn't the point. They loved him. They trusted him. So they obeyed him. Hey, can I have the team come up? That'd be great. Thank you. A little over five years ago, uh, I was teaching in a high school. And I began to sense that God was calling me to leave that position and to go into uh, full-time ministry work within a church setting. And over a period of a few months, uh, there were a number of incidents or moments or events that really led me to the clear decision that this is what God wanted me to do. Some of these moments were small, but some were very, very significant. I mean, not quite written in the sky kind of moments, but completely undeniable what God was teaching me and saying to me. And I remember talking to a friend and and going through all of these things one by one, just telling him how all these different events and moments and incidents had happened, uh, which had led me to this decision. And I'll never forget what they said to me. Because I was talking about how great it was that God had made the call so strong And the decision so clear, even though it was still a hard decision to let go of what I had, uh, but it was clear what I needed to do. And my friend said to me, isn't it great that now even if things get really hard and testing comes and I might want to quit and things aren't what I thought they were going to be, that I know that God has called me to do this so I can continue to walk in obedience to him even through the tough times. It was funny. I know it was supposed to be an encouragement at the time, but I was like, oh, oh yeah. See, I thought God was just calling me to be obedient right now. And that's why it was such a strong call that I needed to hear him to get out of what I was doing in order to go and do this. But no, God's saying, do you love me? Do you trust me? Then will you continue to obey me as a choice out of that relationship of love and trust, not out of a relationship just based in fear or duty. But if you love me, and if you trust my words, then will you do what I ask you to do? We're going to go into a time of worship now. And during this time, I'd like to encourage you to really enter in and worship God. But I believe there may be some people here who would like to receive prayer or ministry. There may be some people here for whom that phrase this is not what I thought it was going to be, rings particularly true. And if you're here this morning and you're feeling like that, then feel free to come forward. We've got some people who would love to pray with you and to bring it to Jesus again today. And there may be others today who are in a slightly different situation. You may be here knowing that God has asked you to do something, but you've been struggling with how to do that or struggling with the timing or struggling even really to obey that call. I just want to encourage you, bring it to Jesus again today. Why don't you stand with me? And we are going to sing together. Let's go, team.